We are in 1 John chapter 5, and so if you have your Bible, can turn there. We'll also be putting verses up on the screen so you can follow along if you choose to do that. But we are in 1 John chapter 5. Let me mention concerning new class, there is a, um, a brochure or a card for it, and it tells a little bit about it on the front. On the back, it simply gives the location of where the class is going to meet. So if you're not familiar with the buildings, you can just sort of take this as a map and how to get there. And if you're not sure still, then just ask someone where the star is and they'll be able to direct you or walk you to that uh, facility. If you already have a good class, then I suggest you stick in there. But if you're looking to be trained to be a teacher, it'd be a good class to be a part of. One of many, I don't know any of our classes that aren't exceptional. Uh, they're really, really good. So we're in First John uh, chapter 5. Let's uh, stand to our feet if we can, and we'll read together, starting at verse 13. Verse 13, or you can follow on the screen. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall uh, give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. We know that what whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, and we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ." This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And let's bow for prayer and you may be seated. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Uh, once again to assemble in the midweek, Lord, and recharge our batteries. We've been out in the world, dear Lord, and uh, it seems like the devil always is trying to find ways to pick at us. And Lord, there's challenges that we face in this world but we're so glad that we have the strength of the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. But Lord, we love hearing the preaching of your word, the teaching. And I pray that you'll bless even the fellowship as we've assembled together. Speak to us from your word now. Give us things that will help us in our everyday life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So we are coming to the conclusion of uh, 1 John here. Uh, we started actually in chapter 2, not in chapter 1, but in chapter 2. And we've been going verse by verse and sometimes getting very few verses as we've gone through this. But we are finishing up with a good number of verses, 13 through verse 21. And that is uh, more than normal. 
So let's jump right into it and see what God has for us here in this passage of Scripture. Now, I've entitled this this, uh, section of Scripture, That You May Know, That You May Know. And it's interesting that the word know or knoweth, some form of that, know, knoweth, knowing, is mentioned 38 times in these five little chapters. So apparently, the Holy Spirit of God wants us to know some things. And here in verse 13, we're starting off that if we have believed on the name of the Son of God, that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. And that's so important. That is so uh, uh, important that we establish that salvation is by the grace of God, a finished act based on our faith, trusting Christ as our personal Savior. And it's not the faith, but it's the faith that connects us to our Savior, and our Savior saves us by His grace, and He saves us forever. You know, God is a forever family. And when He brings His children into His family, He brings them into a forever family. We are forever His children. Now, we can go through Scripture and find that uh, there were children that were disengaged from their families. Joseph was one. But that's not what God does to His children. That's what man does to His children. And sometimes we get to thinking that God's like a man. If we disappoint Him, certainly He's going to kick us out of the family. But I'm so glad He's a better father than most of us are because He keeps His children. And He may punish us, He may uh, have to chasten us. In fact, the Bible's very clear that He will chasten us. Whom He loveth, He chasteneth. And so we're going to have to expect that, but we're not, we're not going to expect getting kicked out of God's family. And we're going to look into this and just see what the Word of God says concerning that. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, let me again read, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's talking about those who have placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just believing that Jesus existed, but you are placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Many years ago when I was uh, like 16, I'd been working on one of our neighbors trying to lead him to Christ, and uh, I'd witnessed to him over and over and over again and he was probably about 14 years of age, but somehow he just didn't uh, respond, didn't understand something or didn't quite respond. At the time, I didn't know really how to uh, have someone maybe receive Christ as their Savior. I'd share it. I said, is that interesting? Yes. Would you like to do that right now? Uh, no, I think I'd like to think about it. And I go, uh, uh, well, it's something you really ought to think about. And, and, and that's where it ended because that's all I knew how to do. And so uh, I was talking to a man this week and I said, is that something you want? He said, yes, it is. I said, wonderful. You know, I'm going to have a word of prayer for you and I'm going to pray that you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. And uh, said, would you want me to pray for you? He said, sure. And so I prayed and I said, uh, Lord, here's Jeremy and He says he believes that you're the Son of God. He believes in heaven. He believes in hell. He doesn't want to go there. He wants to go to heaven. Would you right now open up his heart 
and let him receive you as his Savior. And I said, now, Jeremy, now that we have God's attention, if you want Christ as your Savior, would you just right now ask him to save you and let him know that you're trusting him and him alone to get you to heaven? And so he prayed right then and received Christ as his Savior. He was so happy. You know, I find that most people are very, very happy to know that heaven's their eternal home. They know about heaven. They know about hell. They know where they want to go. They just don't know how to get there. And if you are able to share that, it's the most wonderful news a person has ever heard. I talked to another gentleman who uh, had trusted Christ as his Savior. He's a blind man. And he was walking down the sidewalk to his apartment, and he said, uh, who's there? And I introduced myself and uh, asked him if he went to church, and he said, well, I haven't been in a good while. Ask him if he was saved. He said, yes, I have indeed trusted Christ as my personal Savior. He said, but let me just tell you, the world just sort of beats you up, doesn't it? And I'm thinking, well, yeah. Even if, even if you're blind, the world still beats you up. But if you can see, it's worse. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. And he said, I'm so glad you came by. He said, I don't know why I was getting discouraged and maybe thinking, well, maybe I'm not God's child because I haven't been able to go to church and I haven't been doing this and that. And, uh, he's, and I said, you know you're God's child if you place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know uh, that you've done that? And every verse I started, he finished. I said, well, I see you know the Bible, right? He said, well, I, I knew it real well at one time. And I still remember it. And uh, he was just rejoicing that I stopped by to encourage him that having placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God's child. I told him, here's what I tell others. I said, I know I'm God's child. I'm not the best child he ever had but I know I'm God's child. And if you place faith in Christ, you know that. And there's no way that the devil's going to convince you you're not because you have the indwelling witness of the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And we saw that last week in 1 John chapter 5 before these verses. Now, John wrote that uh, what he did by the Holy Spirit for Christians to know that they have eternal life. Now, if you had eternal life and it only lasted for five years, would that be eternal? If it only lasted for 15 years or 20 years or 30 years, would it be eternal? No, it wouldn't be eternal. Now, I grew up in a Baptist denomination that believed that you could indeed apostatize and uh, reject your faith and no longer be a believer. I grew up that way. So I know those arguments. I was trained in Bible college in those arguments. And so I knew how all the different answers and objections to eternal security. And of course, one of the misleading thing is, well, certainly it's a license to sin. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God's not for sinning, whether you're lost or whether you're saved. He's against it. For the lost were condemned eternally. For the saved, you're chastened. Uh, and God wants to have you bring, uh, come to a place of repentance, not for salvation, but for fellowship. God wants fellowship with every one of his children. 
In fact, I said before many times uh, in the last 38 years, God loves us so much, he wants his children close to him. We're either sitting on his lap or we're bending over it. And having bent over my father's lap when I was a young boy, I much prefer sitting on his lap than bending over it. And I don't want to go have God take me to the woodshed and get my attention. I would rather just love on God because of his goodness. The Bible says the goodness of God bringeth man to repentance. John chapter 20, verse 31, 30 and 31 says this, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. We have life because we've trusted in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us on Calvary. In John chapter 21, verse 25, the Bible says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, John says, These things have I written unto you. Now, we know that John wrote these five uh, short chapters here in 1 John. But we also know that John is the same apostle who wrote the gospel according to John. That's 21 chapters. And it is in chapter 20 and chapter 21 of John, the gospel according to John, that he says, And many other things did Jesus Christ did, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So the Bible is not written to tell us everything there is to know about Jesus. It's written to give us enough to know that salvation is in Christ and we can have that salvation by faith in him. John chapter 3 verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth And that's an interesting word, believeth. It's an aorist tense. It doesn't mean believe. It means believe. If you've placed faith in Christ. Now, if you've placed faith in Christ, you, of course, also are going to live a life of faith and know that you've placed faith in Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So, Verse 13 is telling us that we may know that we have eternal life. And let me just tell you, it's such a joy. I was talking to a lady this morning at the chamber, uh, Oregon City Chamber, and there's, I don't know, 60 people that are in business and go to it every Wednesday morning. I have for, I don't know, 18 years, I guess. And so I'm talking to her, and I said, how are you doing? She said, well, I'm I'm a, little, I'm a little discouraged. I said, what's the matter? She said, well, I have a, a dear friend, and they have uh, a brain tumor, and they had surgery, and they only get half of it out, and it looks like they've just got a, a few years left. And I thought, well, first of all, if you've got brain tumor and you've got a, five years left, that's, that's pretty good prognosis. Five years, a lot of things can happen. I said, but the second thing is, as a believer... I know I'm going to heaven no matter what happens. 
So whether it's a brain tumor or a cancer or an accident or whatever else there is, I know that heaven's my eternal home. And that takes the fear out of all of it. And she said, I know, but she, she's only like 55. She couldn't, you know, tell me about her friend. I said, you know, I just think when we get to heaven, we're going to think to ourselves, why did I struggle to, why did I strive to live as long as I could on that planet when I could have been here? I think there's a reason that Paul said, I saw things not lawful to be seen. It wasn't that anything in heaven was unlawful, it's that God said, you can't tell about it or they'll, they'll mass exit at earth to get here. And so we know that heaven's real. We don't know all the details, but we know enough that we are happy that that's our eternal home and that's where we go when we die. In verses 14 and 15, you have a familiar theme here. And it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. Now, it's interesting in these verses, it's almost like if we, if we pray and know that God answers prayer, then God, of course, is going to answer our prayer. Well, except there's one little phrase that everything hinges on, and that is, if we ask anything according to his will. Right. Okay. Even in James, it says, when we ask, we ask amiss to consume it on our own lust. Lord, please give me that job that pays more. Lord, please give me that beautiful home that our kids would love. Lord, please get, we're asking for things that have nothing to do with the will of God or the cause of Christ. But this verse is saying that if it is in God's perfect will, God Help me be a witness. Well, that's God's will for us to be a witness. You pray that, he's certainly going to help you. God, help me read my Bible more. We know that's the will of God. Lord, help me be faithful. We know that's the will of God. Lord, help me love you more. We know that's the will of God. So when we know it's according to his will, see, that's when we are going to get helped. And that's when it's going to make a difference in our life, and he heareth us. Because of our relationship with Christ as a believer, we know he hears us and answers our prayer. Adam Clark, a commentator from years gone by, said this, All that God has promised we are justified in experiencing, and what he has promised we expect we should pray for. Prayer is the language of the children of God. He who is begotten of God speaketh this language. He calls God Abba, Father. In the true spirit of supplication, prayer is the language of dependence on God. Where the soul is dumb, there is neither life, love, nor faith. Um, Faith and prayer are not boldly to advance claims upon God. We must take heed that we... What we ask and believe is, is agreeable to the revealed will of God. What we find promised, that we may plead. So whatever God has promised us, that we can pray for with great confidence. John chapter 15 verse 7 says this concerning prayer. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will 
and it shall be done unto you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and ye shall, it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Well, that's what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's coming right from uh, the lips of Jesus and all the Word of God, of course, coming by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 24 tells us this. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. I don't know if you recall uh, a few weeks ago when Kenny Menendez, who uh, one time was the deacon of our church, went up to Anchorage, Alaska, and started uh, the church there, Open Door Baptist Church, in two years, they've seen over 500 people trust Christ as their Savior. We're going to take a group of people this summer, and it looks like it's probably going to be around 70 people. I mean, a large group of people. We're going to do VBS. We're going to knock on doors, try to have them the biggest Sunday they ever had. And we probably will just because that many people are there in addition to what he has. But we're going to reach out, and hopefully the people from Anchorage will be the largest crowd uh, they've ever had there. But he preached, if you'll remember, about miracles. About miracles. The fact that we need miracles. We need God to do things in our life that we can't do. And that's a miracle. We need God to work on relationships that we don't have power. We need God to answer prayers of which we don't have the means to make that happen. I know as a church... We have constantly, constantly needed miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle all these 38 plus years. I remember one time I was in my office and the bookkeeper came and said, Pastor, she laid something on my desk and she said, I got $12,000 worth of bills. Now, if I talked to Jeremy Malucci, he'd be thrilled if all he had was $12,000 of bills. He'd go, wow, Pastor, we only have $12,000 in in accounts payable. That's amazing. How did we ever get that low? Uh, But this was back many years ago and when we just had the one building. And we just got in and we were paying rent. Now we're paying a mortgage and it was like two or three times what we were paying rent for. And uh, it, it was a little tight. She said, we got $12,000. I said, well, I'll pray about it. Well, and I did. She left the door and I, I said, God, we've got to have some help. This is your church. This isn't our church. It's your church. It's founded on your son. It belongs to you. We're just glad to be a small part of it. But Lord, you got to provide. You're, you're the benefactor. We're not. Well, I prayed that prayer. And about 15 minutes later, I got a call from one of our members at the time many years ago who had a, a large um, a nursery, plant nursery, sold trees. And he said, we just got done with the harvest. We loaded up all the trees, shipped them all over the country. And I finally got from our bookkeeper what our profit was. And I was wondering, I, I want to pay the tithes on that. 
And I just found out this morning what the profit is. And it's going to come to about $20,000 and it'll change. And I was wondering, I could run it over now or what, you want me to wait till Sunday? I said, uh, why don't you run it over now? <laughs> if that'd be okay and fit in your schedule. Well, in about 15 more minutes, he came by the office and said, Pastor, he said, uh, here it is. He said, uh, I wish we could have been given all along, but I just got this news from the bookkeeper, and this is our prophet, so here's our tithe. I said, well, thank you very much. We had a word of prayer. He left. I took that check to the financial office, went to the treasurer, and laid it on her desk. I said, um, uh, here's a check for 20000 plus change. I said, is there anything else you want me to pray about? I couldn't resist. But aren't you glad that God is in the miracle working business? Just think of all the different times in your life. If God doesn't intervene, it's not going to happen. If God doesn't do something, it's not going to get done. It's so over your head. It's so much bigger. I remember about a year and a half ago when we were meeting in the office around a conference table and we were talking about a family center. And Jeremy Malucci said, well, Pastor, I really think before we ever get started that we ought to raise $2 million. Now, let me just tell you, the largest amount we've ever raised with any banquet has been about 300000 And that was in cash and commitments that took us a year and a half to have come in. So I've not, I don't have a good track record on raising funds. In fact, throughout all the years, I've raised payments, <laughs> Payments, that's what I've raised, so we could pay our bills, but, but not paying off. I, I can't, I, I wouldn't even know how to begin that. I wouldn't even know who to ask. I don't even know people in our church have that kind of money. But I told Jeremy, I said, well, God can do that. I said, Jeremy, if God wants us to have this family center, then God will give us that two million, and I believe that. Now, I don't have a clue how we'll do that. But I'm just telling you, I think God will do that. And last September 9th, right around our 38-year anniversary, we had just taken in over $2 million. Isn't it amazing? That's a miracle from God. But listen, Grandview Baptist Church in the future is going to need, have to have miracle after miracle after miracle. And after we, after we pay off that building, then we're going to go off and pay off all the rest of the buildings. Because we still owe on these. But we've got to have that gym. Those kids got to have a place where they can play and be safe and dry. And have a nice place to play in. And have other schools come and visit our school and play in our gym. And I believe God's going to provide those funds. It's still going to take a miracle. 
The miracle of last year is wonderful, but we need the miracle of this year as well. And we'll have to trust God. And we're going to have to claim that what we pray about, God can answer. If we seek, we can find. If we ask, it can be done. If we knock, it will be open. We've got to pray like, God, only you can do this. Please do this for the cause of Christ. Not only I'm excited about that gym, but I'm excited about the uh, two-story playground so we can reach more and more children, almost 100 kids down there in Awanas right now. I'd love us to have two or 300 children. And we can reach them. God, it's going to take time in the future, but I know we're passionate about reaching this next generation. I'm so excited about it. Let me look at verse 16. The Bible says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now here's what Adam Clark says. The sin unto death means a case of transgression, particularly of grievous backsliding from the life and power of godlessness, which God determined to punish with temporal death. What he's saying, there is a sin unto death. He's not talking about your eternal soul dying. He's talking about as a Christian, you can disobey God enough that it's better for him to take you out then you constantly defame the name of Christ through your testimony. Uh, remember, the Bible said, if any man um, is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and is talking about our bodies being his temple, and if we don't take care of that, the Bible says we'll die. If you are a believer... And you don't take care of your body. You can get cancer and and sickness and whatever, just like any lost person can. If if you want to live in immorality, your life can get just as endangered and be taken out of this world just like anybody else is. And so that's what he's saying here. That's a sin unto death. You're involved around things that will kill you. And God will not spare your life if you're doing things that are sinful and playing around with death. If you want to lay down on a a railroad track, chances are you're going to get run over. And God's not going to reroute that train just to spare you for your foolishness. So you and I want to live a life that's pleasing the Lord And folks, let me tell you, the only reason we want to live a healthy, long life is that we have more time to serve Jesus. It's not just so that we're 80 and healthy, we're 90 and healthy, we're 100 and healthy. It's that we want to live so that we can serve Christ. Many years ago, I was talking to a man who's now an evangelist, but he was pastoring in the Midwest in Iowa. Uh, Brother Larry Brown, Evangelist Larry Brown. And we had him here for a meeting. And Brother Brown said to me, he said, uh, Brother Mutchler. And he said, uh, do you exercise? And I thought, well, I, I drive around. <laughs> I walk around my house. 
I said, I said, no, I don't. And he said, you, you, need, you need to start exercising. And I said, do I look bad? He said, no. He said, listen, there are more pastors taken out of ministry because of health, many times more because of health than immorality. He said, you, you've got to exercise. Well, I, I want you to know I started going to the gym several weeks ago, so I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm trying to go four times a week now, so I, I, I'm starting to feel good about myself. Brother Larry Brown would get on his bicycle and drive it for 60 miles. He's in a very rural area of Iowa. He would drive it for 60 miles to go to the hospital. And in the hospital, they allowed him in a special room to keep his suit. So he'd get out of his outfit, get into a suit, make his visits, go back to the room, get out of his suit, hang it up in the closet, get back into his bicycle uniform, you know, the the glasses, the mirrors, the bodysuit, the padded pants, everything, and he'd go another 60 miles to go home. And I'm thinking, just shoot me now. Just no, I'm not I'm not doing that. But I am at least exercising for 30, 45 minutes or more. And so uh we gotta take care of ourselves. And that is a sin unto death is is not uh not exercising but we need to take care of our bodies so that we have a body that God can use for his purposes. Not, not just to flex, not just to feel good, and, and all that's wonderful. But let's use the life that God has given us to influence others for eternity. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I heard that when I was 13, 14 years old. It made a profound impact on my life. And it should on all of us. 1 John uh, verse 17, chapter 5. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Sin in any disobedience to God's word. Sin is any disobedience to God's word, whether in doing wrong or not doing the right that we're told to do. Remember the Bible says to him that do, knoweth to do right, or knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him and his sin. So sometimes we're sinning not because we're doing something wrong. There's just some things that God wants us that are right to do that we don't do. Now, if I ask us, should we share our faith? Every one of us would raise our hand. Are we doing that on a consistent, regular basis? Let me say, there's, there's weeks I couldn't raise my hand. More like two years of COVID, I felt like a backslidden Baptist. I knew I ought to share my faith, but I was scared to go up to people's door like, what are you doing here? And you know, we're in Oregon. It was almost that bad. Oh, don't touch me. I go to the gym, you got to wipe down everything. I'm not smearing my face on it. I'm not sneezing on it. I'm not, I got pants on. I'm setting on. I don't have germs on the body. Well, anyway, this is crazy. But let me tell you, 
Many, most of our sins, if you've been saved very long, most of our transgressions are knowing to do right and doing it not. It's not like we're trying to live, we're living in immorality, we're doing this and that and the other thing that God says don't do. It's that there's so many good things. We know we ought to spend time in the Word of God, and yet, oh, we got busy. Uh, we know we ought to have a prayer time, and it's like, well, I prayed for lunch and dinner, and you know, I do pray before I go to bed, but, you know, if, it, if we're not careful, we're just not doing what we know we should. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. So there's so many different sins. But praise the Lord, Christ died for our sin. John Gill says, and there is a sin not unto death. This is added for the relief of weak believers who hearing that of sin unto death, not to be prayed for, might fear that theirs were of that kind, whereas none of them are. For though they are guilty of many unrighteousnesses, yet God is merciful to them and forgives. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, and I want to read that verse here. The Bible says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Boy, isn't salvation a wonderful thing? God says, Our sins and our iniquities will he remember no more. Praise God for salvation. So here again, we see that we have been born of God. Uh, Verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Here again, we see that we have been born of God. We have been perfected forever because of the faith that we place in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And again, I want to give two verses that meant so much to me so many, many years ago when uh, I was uh, thinking about eternal security and about the very nature of salvation. And I was reading in Hebrews, and I came upon Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. And the Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, I know because I went through theology, the word sanctified is not referring to salvation. It refers about being set apart, being set apart. So that verse says we have been set apart by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, that's significant because you remember in the Old Testament, the high priest went in and on the day of atonement, he went in twice, twice. Once for himself and the other time for the sins of the people. So that's why it says once for all. Why only once? Because he didn't need it for himself. He's the sinless son of God. See, so he didn't go for his sins. He just went for ours. Once for all. Now, let's look at chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So he sanctified us through the offering of his body. But verse 14 tells us he perfected forever them 
that are sanctified. And that's where it dawned on me that if God perfected us forever, he settled our sins at one point in history. That moment we trusted Christ as our Savior. Now, I know you and I, well, we still sin, though. But remember that Jesus Christ died for all our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from how many sins? The Bible says all sins. When I'm in my 80s, will I sin again? I could ask somebody here this in his 80s. Uh, Will you sin again? Uh, Yeah, probably so. Uh, If I'm in my 90s, will you sin again? Uh, Yeah. We have a lady who comes who's 101 and six months or seven months old now. And I could ask her, do you ever sin? And she'd look at me and said, I'm still breathing. Uh, Yes, as long as we're in this flesh. When I led Justin to Christ... uh, and Jeremy to Christ, I said, now, Jeremy, I want you to understand this. You're saved. But as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to disappoint yourself and God. I mean, we're going to sin. But the good news is Christ died for our sin. And he paid for our sins and covered our sins. So if a holy God looks at you, he doesn't see you with your sin. He sees Jesus Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what he sees. And that's why he can accept us when we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. But he accepts us because he sees his son in us who paid our debt. So we're perfected forever. Now, since all of our sins, past, present, and future, were placed upon Christ in the mind of God the Father, we have no sin because that sin that you and I would see, Christ has already paid for. And there are no other sins to be later applied to our debt, since our full debt has been paid by Christ. If not, then we have no confidence and would wonder if we were confessing sin at times, not because we were repentant, but because we were fearful of dying with that sin not confessed. This is a religion of works." not the faith of Jesus Christ finished works. If you add 1% of good deeds to faith, you have a nulled faith. The Bible says if you add works to faith, you have a nulled faith. It's no longer the grace of God. It's your earning it. You earned your way to heaven. May I say that there's not one person going around bragging in heaven that they deserve to be there because we all deserve to go to hell. But by the grace of God and his love and his mercy and him dying for us and us simply responding to the offer of salvation, we received and accepted Christ as our personal Savior. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now there's only two sides, God's side and the world's side. One's righteous, one's wicked. There's just two sides. We know which side we're on. 
And we also know what side the world's on. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, in that passage, there's three significant things it tells us. One, we know him that is true. We know him. I don't mean we just accepted him. We know him. Why? He's our Savior, and he indwells us. The Spirit of Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit of God indwells us, and we know him, and he knows us. We know him that is true. And the second significant thing is we are in him that is true. We are in Christ. Christ is in us and we are in him. It's like uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Father, uh, you've seen me because I am in the Father. The Father's in me. We are one. And then in, in John chapter 17, as he prays, he said, uh, we are one. They are in me and I am in them. Christ is in us and we are in him, in him that is true. And then the sec- third significant thing is the phrase, in his son, Jesus Christ, in his son. So we know him that is true. We are in him that is true. We are in his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say that's why we don't sin. It's like, uh, let me put it this way. If Jesus, and this is far-fetched, I know, but uh, hopefully it will illustrate a little bit. If Jesus Christ was a force field of our life and we were in the sphere of Jesus Christ, the sphere of influence and salvation provided by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are in him, and we do sin. It never gets out of the power and influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't Jesus said, no man can take us from the Father? We're in the Father's hand, or we're in Christ's hand, and my Father is greater in me, and we are in his hand. And if anyone was to get to our salvation, they'd have to pry off the fingers of God and the fingers of Christ even to get to us. And inside their firm grip is a sinner saved by grace. A sinner saved by grace. And that's what you and I are. But we're in good hands. Amen. That's something to amen about, isn't it? Amen. Now we come to verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 says, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Idols are dumb. Having eyes, they see not. Having ears, they hear not. Having hands, they touch not. Having mouths, they eat not. Having noses, they smell not. They are dumb. They are the creation. Someone said that a man cuts down a tree and he takes uh, the branches of it and he cuts it into pieces and uses it to heat his home. 
He takes the smaller branches, cut those in small pieces, takes them to the kitchen. He builds a fire and he cooks his food over that, which half the world, that's, that's still how they cook uh, outdoor kitchen. And they cook uh, their meal. And then with the stump of it, they carve their God and then bow down before it saying, this is my God. Well, that's what it said in the major prophets. Foolish, we'd say, we wouldn't do that. No, no, we're, we're more sophisticated. We only bow down to money and fame and power and prestige. And, you know, we've got to be careful, little children. Keep ourselves from idols. Don't have anything between us and the Savior. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep ourselves from idols. Romans chapter 2 verse 22 says, Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Now there's only one time in scripture that word sacrilege is used. And the word sacrilege means robbing the temple. Sacrilege is robbing God of what is his. Remember in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, will a man rob God? And they answer, wherein did we rob you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. We ought to give to God what is his. Jesus said it this way, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's. Well, with that we end uh, 1 John and we've looked at chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. It's not always an easy passage. There's parts of it that are very complicated. But it shows us that as a believer, we don't sin because in the eyes of God, our sin was paid on Calvary. And when we place faith in Christ, it became what's called efficacious for us. It was applied to our account. It's like a, a lost uncle of many years ago who was wealthy, died and left a fortune to you. Uh, but you did not know it until later this week when uh, an attorney finally looked you up and had you sign the paper to receive your uh, uh, gifts and the wealth that he had left you. But the very moment you sign that paper, the gifts that were left you become efficacious. It's now yours to enjoy. Before you knew about it, it wasn't. When it was legally yours, now you can enjoy it. It is efficacious. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, it became efficacious. Uh, it became effective for you to have eternal life, and your sins are gone. Could I close with a little song that I used to sing when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? After that, I was so old, they never would let me sing again. Gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally, praise God, my sins are G-O-N-E, gone. Aren't you glad our sins are gone? Yes. And that's what First John teaches us.
you and I as believers ought to rejoice in our salvation. And all of our service is just saying thank you to a wonderful Savior. We're not earning it. We're not trying to earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not trying to deserve it. We're just trying to say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to have a very brief invitation and music will play here in a moment. But just think about God's salvation and just thank him. All of us know that we failed. We're sinners saved by grace. But just thank God for the salvation that we have in him. And pray that God would use us just... Pray that God would do something. God would use us. God bless you. Such a joy to have each one of you here tonight, and I enjoyed getting to share with you. Now, next Wednesday, we are through with 1 John, and I'm not going to go into 2 John or 3 John. Those are short uh, books, and I could easily do that, but um, I especially wanted to hit the doctrinal issues there in 1 John chapter 2, 3, and 4 especially. Um, But I am going to start uh, preaching or sharing on Wednesday night Uh, nuggets of truth in the Old Testament. Now, I'm reading, every year I like to read the Bible through, and and, uh, several several times a year, as I have for many times, I just finished Isaiah chapter 32 today. And uh, I started the first. So I'm going to get through it fairly fast, but there's so many nuggets Oh, boy, I always have a pen underlining circle, trying to put notes in, but I'm going too fast. But I, I want to share just some little truths found in the Old Testament that I believe will just be a blessing. And I know I'm going to be thrilled just to preach about them. And so for many months, we're going to talk about these nuggets of truth found in God's Word Not main things that a lot of people preach about, but just little bitty truths. You connect the dots, and it's amazing what God is showing us. And I hope it will be a blessing to you as well. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. We're dismissed.